This is a Kelly's Angels production. Hi everyone, I'm Mark Mulholland. Thanks for tuning in for our special season one sign-off episode of the Upbeat Podcast before we take a break for summer. First, let me say how grateful we are to all of those of you who've listened since we launched this podcast at the beginning of this year. We started the Upbeat as a way to let families dealing with the loss of a parent or child or facing other life-changing adversity know they're not alone and they can and will get through it. It's our way of sharing stories and advice from experts and those like myself who've experienced loss and grief firsthand in an attempt to help others feel supported and ideally to smile again. We covered topics on grief, laughter as medicine, comfort food, and talked to doctors, authors, and celebrities such as Rachel Ray and Dottie Pepper. We've had more than 1,000 downloads on the Podbean platform alone, and the feedback we've received from listeners like you has been positive and heartwarming. Incredibly, we've accomplished all this through an all-volunteer effort. That means 100% of the underwriting support we've received is able to help families in New York's capital region facing loss and adversity. This episode of The Upbeat is sponsored by the Bobert Family Fund, Stewart's Shops, and the Dake Family. My guest today on The Upbeat is Dr. Randy Kale. Dr. Kale is a licensed psychologist and parenting expert who's been helping families navigate the challenges of divorce, loss, and behavior and mental health issues for decades. Dr. Kale has a neurofeedback clinic and maintains a coaching practice and private practice in Clifton Park, New York. He's authored numerous articles and books, has had a long-running newspaper column on parenting, and is a much sought-after speaker. Dr. Kale, thanks for taking time with me today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. The Upbeat is a podcast from Kelly's Angels about perseverance and hope. It aims to help kids and families who are coping with the loss of a parent or child or battling a life-threatening condition. But the topics we cover can relate to anyone who's facing adversity, whether that's a divorce, the loss of a job, or other life-changing events. What types of services can parents explore with a psychologist or other mental health expert to help during times of grief, loss, or other adversity, Dr. Kale? Well, psychologists, social workers, the mental health profession offers a range, you know, it's a wide range of services available. I would say that, um, you know, when it comes to deep personal loss, uh, loss of a loved one, divorce, then it's better to pick out someone who specializes in that area, who has a lot of experience. Uh, because the transitions can be long and arduous through that grief, or it can be relatively, well, let's not say short, but it can certainly be more easeful. And, and a brighter future is available with you know, sort of a skillful transition with how to focus, how to navigate. That doesn't mean it's easy. I don't want to imply that, right? But uh, finding someone who's really skilled and has experience in that is very valuable and useful. How do you do that? I'm guessing it's easier now that we have the World Wide Web, right? Exactly. I, I, you do a search and you, you find those folks who specialize in that area. And right now, quite honestly, it's, very, it's difficult in part because uh, a lot of people are seeking treatment and, and most therapists are overwhelmed. Uh, Is that because of the pandemic? Because of the pandemic, and I think because of the way the scheduling is set up, so much is done via video, 
And my experience, as well as a lot of therapists that I've talked with, is that that's, it's very taxing. You would think it might be easier, but that format creates a lot of demand. And so oh, many therapists are cutting back on their hours rather than expanding hours just because of the personal stress. Let's talk about that. You said a lot of appointments are done via video, Zoom or Teams or some other format. Can it be effective still? Is it as effective? Is it more difficult to, to get a, a, a person to open up via those formats? I don't find it more difficult with adults, in part because they're motivated and they're showing up they want help. With teenagers and kids, it's very difficult. Uh, just like teachers find the engagement in a classroom difficult, I find it therapeutically. Uh, and I bumped into some colleagues in the parking lot who focus exclusively with doing work with children. And they find it very, very difficult uh, to get engagement. So, but most adults are easily engaged. I find it equally therapeutic and the feedback is, is similar. Let's talk about the children in a divorce or in, the, in a death situation, um, how, do you, how do you see, when, when you see a child who you're told is struggling, how do you approach that as it relates to death or divorce? Well, it's, it's often better to talk with the parents about it, quite honestly, for children. Children struggle to connect. They, they, they often don't want to talk about it. It feels awkward. And when, we, when I speak with adults, who then, who maybe lost a parent early in life, went to a therapist, rarely do you find them referring to it as a helpful conversation. Uh, often because it's awkward and they, they don't know how to process feelings. And, and, uh, and that's not always the case, but often. But that's interesting that you as the, as the expert in this field would suggest that first person to talk to is a surviving parent. Absolutely, absolutely, because it is the day-to-day, moment-to-moment exchanges that are, you know, the mom or dad or grandparent, they have thousands of moments, literally, you know, think about it, per week, thousands of moments, and the therapist is sitting there for 40, 45 minutes, first trying to create a relationship, trying to offer some helpful advice, and the child's going, you don't know a damn thing about my life, sir or ma'am, right? I mean, in their mind. Uh, so a well-equipped parent is, is, in my mind, a hundredfold better than the best therapist, really. Given that, how does a parent, either the surviving parent or the person who is the custodial parent, how do you open that avenue? How do you get your child, say it's a teenager who might not want to share much with you to begin with, what do you, how, do you, how do you get them to talk to you about things that are bothering them? Well, I think, first of all, we, we start with a, a different presupposition than how do we get them to talk to you, because that positions you as a parent, and this is a, this is a very interesting conversation. If, if you end up working harder at, at a relationship, at solving a problem, at fixing something, it creates a dynamic between the parent and the child, and therapists often fall into this trap, where you'll work harder than the client at finding a solution, and then it's not, it's not the way the world works, Mark, right? We all know that if my life is gonna get better, I got, I'm gonna do the heavy lifting. And so as soon as we set up a dynamic where I work harder than you do at fixing a problem, solving a problem, and this is child, adolescent years, 
because developmentally, it, it's what stage they're at, right? I'm not expecting a child to fix a problem about getting gas for the car or paying the rent or any of the adult issues. It's really about this issue that relates to where the child is at. So, so if we back up and say it's not about getting them to talk as much as it is about you know, helping through this transition, then first things first are, what do they see? When they look at the captain of the ship, is the captain struggling? Is the captain figured this thing out? Is the captain constantly, is the, is, if the captain is over here falling apart and I'm gonna try to help you feel better, no, it does not work. <laughs> you know, it, it's, so first thing that the captain has to do, mom or dad, you know, whoever's in that role, is they've really gotta take care of themselves. They've got, they gotta do the work to, to be healthy, to be able to shift their focus from, from from the weightiness of this to what's what, where's the future? Where are they going? How to how to find something to put their attention to that feels good? Because if they can do that, if they can be the model for the child of health, then the child will be much more interested in that. So that's kind of the, I think of that as the first. It's not the only step, but it's the first step, because then. The, the moments will arise. I don't have to pull it out of the child. You know, I have to be asking, asking, asking. Not that we aren't asking, right? It's not that we aren't concerned and interested. It's just that if you start that, that the habit of how you doing, how you doing, what's going on? You look a little sad over there. You haven't talked about it. You know, if we give the 20 questions and all we're getting is a grunt and a moan every time, see, that's not going to work either. So there is a bit of, uh, there's a piece that I, I've got to be taking care of myself, and that's a big thing, right, and healthy. And, but also, I, I'm approaching this with a child or a teen in a way that feels more balanced. Like I give them the space to come to me, the space when, because it can often happen, you're in the car, right? Uh, you're, you're Captive watching, audience. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're watching a movie. There, there's something that's else going on, and then there's a, a relaxed freedom to be, begin to disclose. And if we miss those moments, then we miss a lot of good opportunities. Those things said, how can parents reassure kids during difficult moments like a divorce or a loss that things will be okay? that it's not always going to feel this way. I, I, those are magic words, right? The, the, what you just said, in a sense. If, as a parent, I know that things will work out for us. Right? I just know it in every molecule of my being. Things work out for us, sweetheart. I know it doesn't look like it in the moment, but things do work out for us. So that belief fosters a way of looking at an unfolding new reality after loss, right? Uh, that I begin to see the ways that this is going to work out for us as a family. It's going to work out for you. And so if I have that belief, it's much easier to give it to kids. Sweetheart, things will work out here. It doesn't feel like it. I know it's tough times, but we're going to find our way through it. So in essence, the belief and, and this, this strong, congruent, when I say repetition, I don't mean like every day, but a, a sense of that coming up in moments of difficulty, like we'll, we'll find our way through this, you're gonna find your way through this. Routine reassurance. That's right, right, not, not maybe daily, but you know, in the right moments to be able to give that and to own it. And again, I, I, at the risk of a little bit of repetition, if I'm not modeling that, and, it, and my child's not seeing that, 
then those words are lost. But if I'm modeling that, and, and they see that over and over, and then I offer that to them, and I'm, I'm assuring them, sweetheart, when you believe this, your perspective changes. And if you, if you believe things suck, or our life sucks, or this is horrible, then there is no way to feel good thinking thoughts that don't feel good. I mean, it's very <laughs> yeah, simple, yeah, right? Sure. So if you keep thinking thoughts that don't feel good, your destiny is to feel misery. And if you think them enough, it becomes a belief, and then your life becomes misery. You've made it very clear that the parent is the first choice for the person who can guide the child. At what point does the parent recognize that maybe I can't do it and I do need professional help? Well, I would, I would again point the parent to doing the hard work themselves, right? Because the challenge then, if you, if you, go to, if you take your child to a therapist and and they're getting good information, and then they come home, and the rest of the week, all those hours, moments, they're watching a parent model misery and struggle and, and not having it together. And secondly, every conversation, the way you ask questions, the way you engage the child points them back to misery, 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 suffering, suffering, suffering. So all the work is undone anyway. So first, <laughs> they still have to take care of themselves, but if they're doing that, and they're still concerned, then of course they seek out a, a, a counselor for the child to, to give them help. But the leverage position, and, and I've always maintained this, the literature supports it very, very strongly, is the, leverage, the highly leveraged position is the parent in these situations. And, and so, uh, you know, when I, I'll see kids sometimes that are family, you know, they've been in therapy for five years. Well, that, to me, that's an absurd idea, like a child from 8 to 13 has been in therapy. Well, that, that's a problem. The problem, of course, is that no one was talking to the parents. And as soon as you look at the dynamics there, you can see where the struggle is. So the therapist is shoveling against the tide, right? Sure, there's, sure. There's, there's nothing to be done. Support for The Upbeat comes from the Bobert Family Fund, which supports charitable organizations that efficiently use the resources they have to make a disproportional impact on the world around them. The Digg Family and Stewart's Shops, an employee and family-owned convenience store chain serving eastern upstate New York and southwestern Vermont. If your business would like to be an underwriter and help Kelly's Angels, email us at theupbeatpod at gmail.com. As the world begins to open up again after a year of social distancing, families will be planning vacations again. For families who've recently lost a parent or sibling to a life-threatening condition and are planning a vacation this summer, the absence of that loved one can cast a, a long shadow on their plans. What advice do you have in terms of how to move on to a vacation and let children know it's okay to have fun again? One of the key pieces of of successful, let's call it successfully grieving and moving on, is recognizing that wherever the loss is, parent, grandparent, friend, that that person has touched us in ways that we can never let go of, right? It's just part of our DNA now. We have been transformed, we have been affected, we have been moved, shifted, uh, our, our whole world 
is influenced because of that. So when we, ha when we begin to have conversations with children about that, about how, uh, how grandma or grandpa or dad or mom or whoever, how they will always be present here in you. It, you can't not have them here. And that that becomes the reality of, of the way I see things. And, and the sort of part B of that is to be sort of grateful for the way that they've affected our lives, how we see things, how we think about things, uh, certain moments that, uh, that, that, they, that they gave us. In the last couple of years, I've lost both my parents. And one of the things that, I, that becomes this wonderful gift is being able to remember these moments where they just offered the sweetest, most loving comments as growing up, particularly my dad. And so it becomes this thing that then you just feel eternally grateful for that part of you that's been shifted. So to me, as I think about vacations and moving forward after loss, you're doing the same thing. You, if something comes up, oh, I missed, oh, isn't it wonderful that we had that time? Now think about how that's going to influence how you are able to enjoy boating this year because now you know how to steer the boat since grandpa taught you how to steer the boat. You, know, you take that history and you move it into a gift for the future that's going to serve them. Does that make sense? It does, but what about the guilt associated with, oh, should I be having fun? Should I, should I feel guilty because the person I lost is not here to have fun with us? I would keep it very simple. I'd say, of course you can have fun. Would your grandpa, grandma, dad, mom, would they want you to have fun? Of course they would. If, 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 if they could be a part of it, they'd be like, do not give up a moment of your life staying in misery. I would want you, because if every loving parent, grandparent wants that for their family. Part of what Kelly's Angels does is also helps children who themselves are battling a life-threatening condition, not unlike Make-A-Wish. Um, why is it important that there are organizations who help children who are going through similar circumstances to be able to, to smile and feel like a kid? Well, it's, it's, it relates to what we talked about earlier in a sense, you know, because a lot of those kids have parents who are struggling, the reality. They're looking at a child who's, who's, who's struggling, suffering, perhaps worried about their future. They are probably struggling themselves to muster the positivity, the, the enthusiasm for life. So the more that organizations can offer a break and, and, and exposure to activities and to individuals who aren't caught as much, I think that's an enormous benefit for kids. Um, and also in those uh, experiences, they're often meeting other kids who are now in a forward focus or made it through, who, who, who can see that, hey, don't give up hope. There's a reason to be hopeful here. And as you know, that is absolutely critical to have hope and to believe and to see we can, we'll make it through this. That, that's a good segue because this podcast is also about hope, hope and perseverance. And I'm hearing it during our discussion, you mentioned that a lot. How, how critically important is it to have that hope, to find reasons for hope? Well, the power of belief to influence our life is, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not in question anymore. We now know that belief actually changes our genetic predisposition, right? We, the, the whole field of epigenetics is proves that 
that we can upregulate and downregulate our genes. It's a remarkable technology that's unfolding. And so a, a day of meditation practice, for example, upregulates or downregulates over 60 specific genes. It's amazing. That's just one day. So belief alternates genetic proclivities, and, and, and we, so that's on the biological level, right? But if we just look at, at society, we look at the studies, and we say, well, you know, does hope or optimism influence longevity? Yes. You know, people who are optimistic tend to live longer by far, about seven years overall. So uh, belief is critically important to help kids, families get through this, not only because it feels better, but because there's a reality base to the, to the likelihood of healing, recovery, and doing well despite a disease or an illness. You can't flourish without hope. In fact, uh, you've written something that could very easily be the slogan for Kelly's Angels and for our podcast. You said, when we think there's no hope, it's only because we've been down the wrong path before. Do not relent to helplessness or giving up. Instead, keep going, keep searching, and keep giving it your best. You firmly believe that. It, it's the key. If you are feeling poorly, if you f feel badly, if you're struggling, we know from the neurofeedback, the brain maps that we do, that your brain is in a state. Like it's a, it's a brain state, so to speak. And it's not. If someone's listening, they, they're thinking, oh, Mark, Dr. Kale, you're saying this is easy. I, that, we don't want to confuse that, right? It, it requires effort to, if I'm caught in a funk, if I'm struggling, if I'm down. That state is a real state, but the choice you have is to turn toward hope. It's to turn toward what you want, what you seek, what you'd like to feel, what you're grateful for, what you love, what you enjoy, versus what you're sad about, what, what you're scared about, what, you're, what has hurt you. That fundamental choice between what we don't want, don't like, felt before, have pain, is our history, to focus on that versus focusing on hope, optimism, gratitude, 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 right? We know the, the literature's there, everything is there, that it's a, just a beautiful way to begin to build a, a shift in that brain state toward hopefulness, toward optimism. Parenting is hard, we all know that. Single parenting can be especially challenging. What advice do you have for surviving parents who've uh, lost a spouse when it comes to taking care of themselves? Well, the, the first piece is, is to, to recognize that, sort of like that metaphor on the airplane, right? That you, you, don't, the, you never get instructions, put, put the oxygen on your kids first. You gotta put it on yourself first. And so I see a lot of parents in those situations who are talking child, 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 child. Not that it is important to be child-focused, right? But if I'm, if I'm doing that and, and spending all this money and, you know, a lot of times in our culture, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars going to uh, sports and coaching and all these extra uh, activities, time, money and time, right? And the parent is not taking a little bit of time to find a, a good therapy, to go away to a, a quality workshop, to, to invest in meditation or yoga or exercise, 
So it's kind of back to that thing. They've they got to be able to take care of themselves first. They've got to be able to be that leader that is not is not faking it, right? That's and authentic. not feeling guilty about it, right? That's right, right. I, I mean, how, it just doesn't make any sense to be feeling guilty about it in a sense. Uh, I, I, I know guilt is probably the most dangerous, non-functional, non-useful, life-thwarting emotion we can have because it can loop for so long. It can loop for years and decades for some folks. And it's heavy. It's heavy. It's very heavy. Versus, you know, if it's, I, I don't mean to minimize it, but if, it's, if I'm just experiencing loss and pain, there's a natural sort of rhythm and flow to that that we tend to move through and the brain moves through and people move through. But we get hooked on guilt. That can cycle and, and, and we can really get stuck there. You developed a terrific parenting precept that provides powerful parenting principles and has helped a lot of people improve the family dynamics in their own households. What is Terrific Parenting? Well, Terrific Parenting is the website where I offer a lot of articles. There's several hundred articles and, and some digital content uh, for parents. Terrific Parenting, though, is, is sort of about the fundamentals because it's sort of, you know, we get caught in these esoteric ideas and we ignore the fundamentals. And, and when you attend to the fundamentals, then everything tends to work well. If you ignore it, then all the other stuff will just uh, drive you crazy. Where can our listeners find more on Terrific Parenting? Uh, terrificparenting.com. Very simple. Yeah. Dr. Kale, is there anything you'd like to add about how we can approach loss and grief and come out the other side? Well, perhaps it's a, perhaps it's a reiterating, but I'm, I'm going to say it slightly differently. The fundamental choice to focus upon what brings us pain what, makes, what brings us suffering, what we miss, what we don't have, what's absent in our life, or how did that person make me better? How am I touched by them? How am I forever changed? How am I uplifted? In what ways am I grateful? In what ways will I be forever moved, shifted, changed, made a better person by their experiences? Every time I ask those questions, go in that direction, I will feel better. Every time I go thinking, woe is me, I miss this, I don't have that. Now it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. But being able to recognize there is nowhere that thought, if I keep lingering, my choice point, I can go with it, go with deep, 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 down, 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 down. Or I can shift. And that fundamental understanding that that is my choice, that's freedom, that's hope, that's where a, a, a future lies. Excellent. Dr. Randy Kill, thank you for joining us on The Upbeat. You're welcome, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again for listening and for making our first season of The Upbeat a real success. We'll be back in the fall with new episodes for our second season. We'll be talking to a mom who lost her son to leukemia a few years ago, and in keeping his memory alive, has inspired an author to raise a million dollars to help fight childhood cancer. We'll be delving into the topic of finding love after loss. We'll have an episode where some teenagers and young adults take over as hosts to provide their perspectives and experiences on loss. And we'll continue to hear stories from people who are persevering through adversity and inspiring others along the way. Please let us know what topics you'd like to hear on The Upbeat. Send your suggestions to theupbeatpod at gmail.com. 
And be sure to subscribe to the Upbeat Podcast by Kelly's Angels wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when our new episodes drop in the fall. Until we launch our Season 2 episodes this fall, I'm Mark Mulholland. Enjoy your summer, take care, and stay on The Upbeat. Special thanks to our media partner, 32 Mile Productions, for their help in recording our episodes. Emily Yan, a graphic designer and art director who invested her time and talent to create our podcast logo. Videographer, editor, and Kelly's Angels board member, Lou Graff. Coordinating producer and Kelly's Angels board member, Jenny Sperano. And all the volunteer Kelly's Angels board members who had a hand in making this podcast possible. And one of those board members is my daughter, McKenna Rose Mulholland, who's been doing a great job as our voiceover talent for this podcast. So thank you, McKenna. You're welcome, Dad. Can I finish now? You bet. Thanks for listening to The Upbeat.